Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. And this is like the most Buckeye Talk thing ever. We weren't sure if this was going to be a rapid-fire podcast or a one-topic podcast. So we held off on the intro, and then we went an hour and 20 minutes on what would have been the first question. So it's not rapid fire. It's all about our podcast from 2021 saying we thought the 2023 Ohio State Buckeyes had a chance to be a super team. A texter asked, where are we on that now? And Nathan, Stephen, and I dove in. Here we go. So into this texter question, it's from the 614. A couple years ago, You, Stephen, and Nathan predicted the Ohio State 2023 team would win the national championship and that it might be the greatest college football team ever assembled. Do you still feel that way? If not, why not? What has happened to change your mind? What makes you think those things could still come to pass? So we have brushed on this idea since we first put it out there on the heels of the Quinn Ewers commitment to Ohio State. And at that time, we thought they were adding Quinn Ewers to a, what was a very, very good 2021 recruiting class. And most of the time when we do predictions like this, you're, you're putting it on the shoulders of the third-year guys because the third-year guys are the ones who have to be here. You cannot rest expectations on fourth-year guys in college football because the fourth-year guys for Ohio State this year are Paris Johnson, C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Luke Whippler, and none of them are here. So you can't, you, you have to rest it on the third year guys. So let's start with those third year guys. The way I think of it, Nathan, and I think we thought of this when we talked about it. You're thinking about how good the third year players can be. You're basing it off that recruiting class. So we're talking about the 2021 recruiting class. And then you're theorizing ahead of time. Well, where else? Might they get supplemented in a meaningful way by fourth-year guys who are still here? And where might they get supplemented in a meaningful way by second-year guys who are ready to go? But it is mostly a third-year discussion. So when the texter says, why did we think that? And why do we still think it or not think it? Is that fair to say that's where a lot of our energy is? Yes. Yes, exactly. And it was, well, yeah, because, and then only because Quinn Ewers got reclassified to 2021 whether you want to count him as a true third year player or not is a little bit of a quibble because he wasn't really doing much that first year but but yeah that that was all what it was it was it was projecting ahead to stars and then maybe you have one hold over here one guy ahead of schedule here but the, the number of stars I mean the fact that they had even if you take out Quinn Ewers which he did take himself out of the equation, you would still have, uh, what, six six top 30 players in that class, including another quarterback and and and, and multiple defensive ends. Like you had, it was, it was not only third-year players, but a lot of third-year players apparently at really key positions. And I guess even at that time, right, when we were talking about it, it was Quinn Ewers we thought would have been in the class of 2022. So here's mm-hmm. going to be this second-year quarterback who as a second-year guy will be ready to take over for C.J. Stroud and then lead this group of third-year guys, Stephen. So as it turned out, he actually was in that class. But the bottom line was it felt like in the moment, Stephen, we were putting a quarterback, the highest-rated quarterback ever, as a cherry on top of 
what we felt would be a foundational group of third year guys, which led us to that discussion. Which is why for me, I, I don't know if we have to back off of that yet because the things that we thought would be awesome, there's a chance they're going to be awesome this year. And the things that we thought might be problems are problems. We said then we, uh, the we have been talking about the tackle problem for two years. And now there's a tackle problem. It might get solved this fall, but we thought the wide receivers would be awesome. Their wide receivers are from, if you just like take the names away and just point them out there, it's the son of a Hall of Famer who might be the best wide receiver in the country and two guys who were the former number one wide receiver in their recruiting class. That's their starting receiving core. Their tight end is a now third year playing tight end who might be one of the better tight ends in the Big Ten. Maybe if you did like a top 15 tight ends in the country, maybe Kate Stover slides into that list. But he's pretty quality. He showed some things last year. This is a deep running back room led by the number one running back in the country. Their guards are two former top 100 recruits, one of which was a five-star. Now they have to figure some things out at center because Luke Whipple left and we weren't ex- expecting that. But then on defense, it's two former five-star top five recruits in the country as your starting edge rushers, an interior with some high upside, even if we feel like the depth needs to be developed a little bit, and some quality cornerbacks and some decent linebackers. But the only – we thought – though. During When we did it, we thought the problem would be tackle, and the problem is tackle. Everything else, for the most part, has worked out the way we thought it worked out. Even quarterback, to an extent, even without Quinn Ewers, there's a potentially that there, it's still going to be a first-time starting quarterback, and he might be a five-star. So let's go through that class and decide, okay, this 2021 class, what we thought back then when we said it, and what we think now. Do we... Think the same? Have we lowered our expectations around certain players and certain position groups, or have we raised our expectations around certain players and position groups? And this is not to call anybody out, but this is to it's our perception. Oh, what, would, so. what, 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 what would make us say such a thing? And listen, it's not ratings. It's not clear. Like we're with I believed it. Like I don't we were mm-hmm. not oh, yeah, you guys want to throw out like I don't know. What should we do this week? I don't, we could throw out greatest team ever. What do you think? Or do rapid fire. What do you think? You know what? Let's just throw out greatest team ever. See what happens. What is the point of that? It's like, what, what should we do? You want to throw out nine and three? We could throw out nine and three. Yeah, that feels like that'll get us through a day. It sticks to you, man. You can't just throw stuff out there in the world. So there was no part of this that we didn't believe in the moment. The possibility of it. But... Let's start with quarterback. And the reality of it is, Quinn Ewers, it was like setting the world on fire, man. They got the number one quarterback, highest rated guy ever out of Texas, decommits from his dream school, comes to Ohio State. Holy moly, he's going to be the next guy in line. We talk about the evolution of the position. Okay, well, if you thought if you thought Dwayne Haskins was good, and then Justin Fields, and then C.J. Stroud, wait till they get Quinn Ewers as the best quarterback recruit ever, Nathan. But instead, what do we have? A guy that Quinn Ewers, again, reclassifying into the class of 2021 is the number one player, number one quarterback. So who do they have instead? Kyle McCord, who was the number 28 player, number six quarterback. So I like, I don't know, Nathan, should that has our perception of the quarterback position? How is it different from when we said that way back then? Of course, knowing that Quinn Ewers is not here. It, it's definitely lowered and it's not anything 
Common Accord has or hasn't done because I think our expectations of Common Accord have stayed pretty consistent through this whole thing. But when we were talking about Quinn Ewers, it was all about that recruiting ranking and that potential, that idea that you're just dropping this unicorn on top of an already, as you said, an already kind of mythically <laughs> talented group. Uh, that's that's pushing a little far, but not so much the unicorn thing because at, again, at the time, you're just projecting out, well, the other guys who have been like a perfectly rated recruit or almost Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, like it looks pretty magic. So we're just if you've already got this collection of talent and now you're adding him to that, that you're right. It, it just seemed like an accelerator a little bit to kind of push this thing up to in, into that thing where now you're you're talking about can this team challenge for the super team status that Ohio State has sort of been chasing now for several years while watching other teams put together their version of it let me ask you this Quinn Ewers as it turned out was the number one quarterback recruit in the class of 2021 after he reclassified number two was Caleb Williams Mm -hmm. Stephen if Caleb Williams was Ohio State starting quarterback right now would anybody be asking about the super team thing or would people be printing up Buckeye Talk predicted it 2023 Ohio State, the greatest college football team of all time? Because listen, did we think that Quinn Ewers was going to win the Heisman as a sophomore or as a first year guy, whatever, right? Did we think that in 2023, hey, we're predicting Ohio State's going to be this good? Why? Because we think Quinn Ewers is going to be the reigning Heisman winner and back as a second year starter. No, that's not what we were saying. But Stephen, that level of quarterback play, what we were maybe anticipating, it's that. Now, of course, Quinn Ewers and Kyle McCord and Caleb Williams are all different styles of quarterback. But that certainly was in my head, Stephen. And I know it is not a straight line from recruit to development to success on the field. But it worked for the number two quarterback in this class in 2021, who was the number one quarterback until Quinn Ewers reclassified. Caleb Williams lived up to the hype. There was an anticipation from us of Quinn Ewers living up to the hype. So let's dance on that dance floor, Stephen. What if Caleb Williams was this Ohio State quarterback right now? What would we be saying? Yeah, I hate the reclassification thing because it throws everything off here because we weren't – it's like Caleb Williams was the number one quarterback in the country when we were having this conversation. Um, It changes everything. I don't even – I don't think any of us would be worried. We'd be like, super team, super team. Super team, and I, I you threw out the style of quarterback thing. I'm not going to throw it out because that matters when we've been predicting that there was going to be a tackle problem. What if they had a tackle problem, but their quarterback had the playmaking ability of a guy like Caleb Williams? It's like, okay, you still need to protect them, but that dude is going to make – for every 10 rushers who get through, he's going to make seven of them miss, and then he's going to do something stupid with the ball that's going to have all of our jaws on the floor. That matters to me, especially with this receiving core. So it, we, it wouldn't even be a conversation right now. We probably wouldn't even be answering this question. It would just be guys texting us like, guys, you were right. They have a super team now. While with, I think what also matters is the minute you step on the field, the star rating shininess starts to come off of you. And we've gotten to see, Kyle, even if it was two years ago, we've seen Kyle McCord play football. Even if it was Akron, we've seen him start a game. We've seen Quinn Ewers play football. And so far, Kyle McCord, in the small amount we've gotten to see him, hasn't looked like the dude who was a five-star recruit. Let's just be real about it. So far, in the football we've gotten to see from Quinn Ewers, that ain't that doesn't look like a perfectly ready quarterback. With it, whether it's fair to them or not, that's the truth. We have seen 
Caleb Williams come in from the moment he replaced Spencer Rattler in that Oklahoma game, look like a dude who was a five-star quarterback, number one quarterback in his class, all of those things. And so he got to keep his shininess. So when that's part of the equation here, that has to matter when you're talking about has the expectation lowered, hired, or stayed the same. If if Caleb Williams were the, was the quarterback we were building this around, we'd probably be higher because he's re, he's already maximized and lived up to that hype, and even more so, while the other two haven't done so yet. So this is not against Kyle McCord because, Nathan, if Quinn Ewers was here right now playing the way he played at Texas last year, our expectations would have lowered as well, which is kind of what mm-hmm. Steven like, just said, right? Well, you went from the most perfectly – rated quarterback ever to good, good, but not perfect anymore. But also, again, the expectation when we did this was not that Quinn Ewers would have played in 2022. But if we were sitting here in a situation where Alabama in 2021, they win the national championship with Mac Jones at quarterback in 2020, and now it's Bryce time. It's time for Bryce Young. And you didn't know for sure but that was the number one quarterback in that class. And I think you, you had a pretty good idea. Now, you also thought you had a pretty good idea with DJ Uyunglele, and that turned out not to be true. But Bryce, I think, maybe is the better example here, Nathan, where if we were sitting here right now, the way Alabama was sitting there in 2021 with, okay, well, Bryce Young's never played, but man, there's no reason not to think this guy's going to be spectacular. If we were getting ready for that version of Quinn Ewers, because maybe Caleb does not fit here, because C.J. Stroud was going to be the quarterback last year no matter what. If we were getting ready for that, I think we'd be in a different place right now, because people would just be like, oh, my, like, can't this guy, get this guy on the field. Like, and and it, we're, not, we're not quite there yet. Like, we're just, we're not quite there. Kyle McCord did not slam the door. Like, he was good. I think he was fine. And I will say, we have other quarterback questions that we will get even deeper into this. There's, I think, some confusion in the Ohio State fan base about the quarterback situation right now. I think people like us are contributing to that in some degree because we – two things. One is Devin Brown exists, so it's not an all or nothing. It's not Kyle McCord, do or die. There's another good option. And then our perception as people who were not at all 15 practices but who were at some – isn't that, wow, Kyle McCord's going to be the number one pick in draft next year. That's just not our perception. And it might be wrong, Nathan. But in the end, I think the Caleb Williams version for Ohio State, oh, yeah, of course, if, the, if he was a quarterback, oh, my gosh. But also the Bryce Young version of he hasn't played yet, but there is every expectation that he's going to be spectacular. We're not quite there at either of those. So we're below expectation at quarterback, but we also might be wrong. Because the quarterback play may absolutely live up or close, come close to living up to the expectations that we set when we said this two years ago. Yeah, and, and I, I would just encourage people to remember that the expectation that we had, that people had for Ohio State quarterback play in the spring of 2019 was lower than what Justin Fields, I think, turned out to be that first year as a Heisman Trophy finalist. He had taken, he had grown some moles, or however you want to say it, over the course of that spring. It wasn't, it wasn't a super sharp spring game, and there were some other things. And uh, the the expectation of quarterback play that Ohio State would have in 2021 was less, had had dipped a little bit three or four games into that season because we were having conversations about, well, maybe they need to take a look at this common cord guy. I don't know about C.J. Stroud, and then laser show, and he took care of things. And 
so that's going to bounce a little bit. Like I think Stephen makes a good point that about the shine of the, the five star, and it's hard to keep that shine because you're it's when you're when you haven't been exposed to anything, you haven't had to go up against a pass rush, you haven't had to read a defense, you're still just all potential, and uh, you're going to lose some of that. And then how do you? Then you can try to play, you can try to buff yourself back to that shine. And I think like C.J. Stroud did that. So I, I would push back a little bit though, like as far as you know. Caleb Williams last year didn't make USC a super team. So I'm really curious. We need to finish the rest of this conversation and see if all of those other categories that we thought were going to make this a super team, how many of those have also have we lowered our expectation on? I totally understand what you guys are saying. And if Caleb Williams were here at Ohio State, the level of expectation, we, we, we would be talking about this team differently, a thousand percent. But I am curious how the rest of this conversation is going to go. I do think, though, uh, I actually think the DJ comparison is perfect here because DJ Kyle is in a similar position, not same competition, but similar position where we got to at least see it as a true freshman and DJ's first two games as a college football player where he got extended minutes. It was like, Oh, okay. He's going to be awesome when he finally takes over for Trevor Lawrence. And then it didn't correlate. But so could, could we see that? But the opposite of that, where the first time we saw Kyle as a five star, it was like, all right, it's good, but that ain't, <laughs> that's not replacing CJ Stroud to now that he's had two years under his belt here, it almost makes us forget about the dude that we saw against Akron while with DJ, the rest of his career was like, where's the guy who showed up against Notre Dame? Cause we haven't seen that guy since then. So I, I almost think that's a better comparison because we got a sprinkle of DJ and thought that we kind of marked it off as, yep, he's going to be awesome. Cause we've already seen it. And then it just didn't live up to it the second time around. If Caleb Williams was Ohio state's quarterback right now, I think, Ohio State would be, if not a unanimous and overwhelming preseason number one team. I think if the vibes around the Ohio State quarterback position were like Bryce Young vibes of like, okay, he's never played, but I mean, it's going to be Bryce Young. I think they would be in the mix to be the number one preseason team in the country. And as it is, I don't think they're a top five team, no doubt about it, but I don't think they're at Georgia, maybe Michigan right. level right now. And because just there's there's a scooch bit of, I don't even know if uncertainty is the right word, just a lack of assuredness at the quarterback position. Not, I don't, it's not doubt. And we'll save it for another pot. It's not doubt. It's just not a thousand percent locked in coming out of spring, which then makes you say, okay. But if you had Caleb Williams throwing a Marvin Harrison Jr., it'd be like, I don't know. Would they be a wild card team in the NFL? What are we talking about here? So, that's maybe, right? We thought there was a possible version of that. So quarterback is, at this moment, somewhat significantly under our perception of what it could be when we said this in two years ago. So let's lay that groundwork here. Doesn't mean it's not going to be good quarterback play. Quick break when we come back. We'll go to the defensive ends next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Let's go to the guys who were the next highest rated players in that class once Quinn Yu is reclassified. So Quinn Yu is reclassified in 2021. He's number one. And then we get to JT Tuimolowau is in the 247 composite, the number four overall player. And Jack Sawyer is the number five overall player. And can I, I just feel like we end up talking about it a lot. Let's, Whatever you say in court, like we'll acknowledge 
the JT Penn State game. It was great. We know that. State for the record, it was great. JT and Jack, Stephen, just what we were saying, what we thought the defensive ends, given their ranking, might be in year three compared to where we are now. Do you think we're the same? Are we now, are they a little less than what we thought? Are they a little more than what we thought? I think we're less, and I don't think it's completely their fault. I think JT is on schedule to do what we think he should be as his third year guy. It's like, all right, we saw the flat. We saw he played a little bit as a, he was almost actually he was ahead of schedule as a freshman because he got here in July, mid July, and was playing and he shouldn't have been playing. And then last year we saw the flashes. So it's almost like he got ahead of schedule and then he slowed down a little bit. So now he's right on schedule. They did something weird with Jack as a sophomore and it didn't work. And I feel like we're going to find out this year whether that screwed up his development as a dude who he was a five-star top 10 player in the country because he gets after the quarterback. His nickname in high school was Baby Bosa. So it's like I, I, they're behind, they're, they're, it's lesser because we haven't seen it yet, but it could very easily be exactly what we thought it was going to be if it feels like finally they let Jack do what he's, he came here to do and he's awesome and JT is right on schedule and he's awesome as well. There is a world where both of these guys are out of here as three and done players. So Nathan, I do think at the time we thought 2023 had a chance to show us something that we'd never seen at Ohio State before other than for two and a half games in 2018 with Nick Bosa and Chase Young before Nick Bosa had the season-ending injury. And we knew what it looked like to have Joey Bosa. We knew what it looked like to have Nick Bosa. We knew what it looked like to have Chase Young. We didn't know what it looked like to have two of those three healthy all season at the same time. And we also were anticipating, I think, it, that's, a, that's, a, that's a level above Sam Hubbard, Tyquan Lewis, Jalen Holmes, you know, Zach Harrison, everybody else who's a very good defensive end, right? We we thought, hey, they're two of the top five players in the country, Nathan. I don't think we think that right now. Is that right, Nathan? We're not. That's not where we are thinking. I don't even know how opposing offenses are going to be able to snap the ball because JT and Jack are just going to be doing rock, paper, scissors to decide who gets to rip the quarterback's arms off on this play. Yeah, I think we're even more under what our expectations were than, than Steven does. Because I think at this point, even if you're not going by that, that fictional, as it turned out, Bosa young standard, that combo, I think we thought by now, one of these two guys, one of them, either one of them would have, would be individually on that path to the kind of presence that those pre predecessors had. Because, I mean, Chase Young, 10 sacks as a sophomore, I think. Obviously, the Boses hit big uh, early in their careers. By year two, you had an idea. I'm going to keep using this term. You had an idea that maybe there was a unicorn in your presence. You had an idea that, that this guy might just be a dragon and there's nothing anybody can do. And that next year, it's going to look, uh, that third year, it's going to look a little unfair when those guys are playing a lot of games. There's going to be a lot of teams where it looks like, why are they letting that NFL guy play against this poor little team? And I think JT Tuomaloao and Jack Sora are both poised for really good years, but nobody is talking about them like that right now, with the exception of JT Tuomaloao flashing what he did against Penn State. But that's still more of a flash than anything he's done consistently in his career. 
And he's not going to do that consistently, but we're all talking about the same thing here. I think it's definitely, I thought that by now we would maybe be talking about one of those two guys as uh, somebody who has taken that kind of hyper step into something really special, as opposed to us talking about, because like just to say that maybe they'll both be uh, NFL draft picks after their third year is not a really, really high bar. Those are both, I mean, guys who were ranked so high at, at a position of great uh, interest like that, like that itself is not the, that's not the target we were thinking of when we were talking about maybe this is the greatest team of all time. We were making that kind of uh, analysis. We thought one of these two guys would already be younging or Bosa-ing or, or about to be a third year version of that. And that just hasn't happened yet. We thought there was a chance that Ohio State in 2023 would have the best quarterback play it's ever seen and the best defensive end pairing it's ever seen. That's what we were thinking when we say those things. That's what we thought was on the table. And we, right now, we're not thinking either of those things. But maybe they'll get there. But I do think our perception, again, I, I agree, we are under in May of 2023, where we were two years ago, because it has, and maybe the point of this is when you say something like what we said about players who have never played college football, (laughs) when you set the goal at greatest team of all time, and then we're like, you know, I think we're a little under. It's like, oh, you think? Because what's over? You think they could win the Super Bowl this year? Like, how could we be over, Steven? Of course we're under. We're not, we're not sure they're going to be better than they were last year. So that is, but we are pretty certain they're a top five team, but top five team is somewhat significantly under the greatest football team of all time. So that's where we are. But again, if you were saying that 2023, we were getting year three Joey Bosa after what he did in year two when he was an All-American for the national champions and year three Chase Young, when he had 10 sacks on two bad ankles in 2018, if that's what we were talking about right now, you know, Joel Klatt would just be living in Columbus doing nothing. You know, Gus Johnson, ESPN would have set up camp here, Stephen, because we would be expecting an unprecedented pass rush in college football history. And I don't think anybody is thinking about Jack and JT right now the way they were thinking about either Bosa or Chase Young coming into year three. And that's okay. But we're under. We are. I, I, I think we're maybe a little bit significantly under. I think the problem is we haven't – Larry's had some – obviously some his generational guys here, but they've been generational guys from the moment they walked here. It was just like, hey, Larry, are you going to let them be generational or not? Like Chase probably could have had like five sacks as a freshman, if they would have played him, but like they didn't play him because they didn't have to play him. I mean, he didn't play a single snap in that 2017 Penn State game. Nick Bosa, probably his stats are probably deserve an asterisk by him because he never just got to be the guy who goes out there and plays 50 plus snaps because he was in those rotations. And it's like, hey, Nick probably shouldn't be coming off the field. And Joey played less and less every year because of the Larry Johnson philosophy, but also they quadruple teamed him in 2015 so his numbers fell off a cliff we have seen that cornerback we've seen that quarterback we've seen that wide receiver we've seen all these other positions where like for some reason it just clicks in year three 
and there's no explanation. Sometimes the explanation is I was hurt the first two years, but usually there's no like realistic explanation. It's just like it pops and it finally clicks for them in year three. We haven't seen that yet at the defensive end. And so that's what we, we'd be asking from Jack and JT is like, Hey, you've been pretty decent in your career here, but now we need you to be a unicorn. And we don't have an explanation for how you're going to make the jump, but just make the jump. And so that's why you have to be under because so far we haven't even with those guys. Chase was a unicorn in year two. He just was hurt. Nick Bosa was a unicorn literally the moment he came here, which is already crazy because he came here on a torn ACL. And Joey Bosa was literally a unicorn from the moment he stepped on the field. So it, it goes back to when we do the Buckeye Retalkables, the, the entire, you know, if he's going to bite, he bites as a, bites as a pup. Well, those guys were full-grown pool dogs by the time they got here, while Jack and JT and even also Zach Harrison, is, they were actually pups when they got here, so they've had more gradual development. And so maybe they get the unicorn status, maybe they don't. Okay, so we're under. We're under at defensive end, which is, which is fine. Receiver. So what we were looking at when we were projecting 2023 at receiver is – the greatest collection of receiving talent in college football history? Because what we're talking about, right? We are at that moment, you think you're taking a, a fourth-year class, guys who could be fourth-year guys right now, which is Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, G. Scott, Mookie Cooper at receiver, and you're adding to them third-year guys in Emeka Ibuka, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Jaden Ballard. And somewhere in there, from those seven guys, you are going to get a collection that creates the greatest receiver room in Ohio State football history. So we all know, you know, G. Scott Jr. is a tight end. Mookie Cooper is at Missouri. Julian Fleming is right here, and he's starting. And that's pretty darn good. Jackson's gone, but that's not a shock that one of those guys is to the NFL. And Emeka was the number one receiver, the number, I believe, 10 overall player. In the mm-hmm. rankings from 247 Sports, and Marv was the number 97 overall player. So Marv has become Marv, and Emeka is really darn good. Nathan, we thought it had a chance to be the best collection of Ohio State receiver talent ever. Are we still there? Are they are they higher than we thought, lower than we thought, or kind of right on what we said two years ago? I think as far as the starting group, I think it's up above. I think it's ahead. And it's because instead of what you're kind of describing, which is, well, out of all those bodies, probably three really good guys will emerge and maybe there's a fourth in the mix. Instead of that, you've got a returning unanimous All-American. And at the time, we probably thought maybe Ibuka would be the best and Har- Marvin Harrison would have a good year, but that's flipped. So instead, you've got Harrison as a returning unanimous All-American. You've got Ibuka, who had, in some respects, an All-American season. And as we've talked about before, it's just overshadowed. And then you've got Fleming as a really productive third guy who it, it always seems like has that promise of more if if the next surgery just fixes him and gets him through a full season healthy. I would say that this is is better. They have to, to have the three guys locked in the way that they do and the certainty that you have right now. And then also, I think the way that we now that we've seen what Marvin is, too, because um, he didn't have an opportunity to play that much as a freshman until the very end, but he, I think, checks that unicorn box, right? Like, obviously, at this point, to be what he was in his second year, I, th- I think, does that. So, 
now that you've seen just what he individually can be, which which in tandem with the quarterbacks, even though they're down, so I think maybe the may, is the passing game as a whole still more or less on track, even if the quarterback is down and the receivers are up. I do think, Stephen, sort of what we were talking about at defensive end, Marv and Emeka as receivers mm-hmm. are maybe what we thought JT and Jack would be as defensive ends right now. Nathan, you were mm-hmm. saying that like, hey. One guy is like, oh my god, he's the best defensive end in the country, end in the country, and the other guy is really good, and we have that at receiver, Stephen. So you're kind of nodding. You think Nathan says we're kind of above what we thought? Do you think we're above? I think so. One, because everybody's on schedule. That's the first part of this. Ameka Ibuka. If you just go look at those 2020 wide receiver groups, Ameka's the only one who's completely lived up to what his recruiting ranking is. Marvin has obviously surpassed that in, by tenfold, but he was the number one rec- wide receiver in his class, and he might arguably be the best receiver not named Marvin Harrison Jr. in college football as now a third-year dude. Julian Fleming, for what the context is, for why he is the highest-rated receiver Ohio State's ever had until Jeremiah Smith gets here, is the physical of what Nathan just said – there's always feels like there's more to tap into there, but there was always going to be a, his development plan was always going to look more like Jaden Ballard's where it was going to take a while. But if you'd ask Brian Hartline of the four from that 2020 group, if you told him who are the two most likely to make an impact, he'd probably say Jackson first because Jackson's a five star from Texas and was ended up being what a five star from Texas typically are. And then Julian Fleming, what's it clicks? Fleming is healthy and it's starting to click and he was very, productive last season especially once he got healthy even in that georgia game he had like 70 receiving yards so he had a really quality day there but the concept of the number one receiver in the 21 recruiting class has lived up to being the number one receiver in the 21 recruiting class and then the other dude who was like clearly underrated in that class is the son of a hall of famer who's like a freak unicorn all those you know you know imaginary creatures you want to name that puts you above because in tw- when we did it, we thought two of these guys would be dudes and you'd have a really quality dude. We just probably picked the wrong two dudes to be the dudes and the other guy to be quality. We probably would have said Marvin would be quality while Julian and Emeka, just based off recruiting rankings, would be the dudes. Yeah, Marvin's not on schedule. Marvin had like a train schedule he was following and then, then he traded it in for a, like yes. the Concord schedule. <laughs> he, he, he changed schedules. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do think one of the other things that happened is the context maybe of what a best I'm trying to think when we did this podcast, like I'm looking back again, I'm trying to, I, I want to know exactly when we did it. Cause I'm trying to figure out when the context changed. We, I think we did it in about late July, like right before we went to big 10 media days. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. Okay. That sounds about right. I'm going to find yeah, it. I have- okay. I have a 2023 July 7, depth chart. 2021. July yep. 7. Because it was right after Julie, uh, after JT committed, because we were waiting on that yep. to see if they would get him before we did it. The 2023 Buckeyes look headed for a national title. Uh, okay. twenty. So July 2021. Then the 2021 receiver room shows up, and it's that Chris Olave stays maybe when we didn't expect him to. And then, well, it's like, oh, now they have Chris and Garrett together. And then Jackson has the biggest receiving season in Big Ten history after starting the year as a third guy. So then 
that context, Nathan, if in July of 2021, we were like, ah, I think this 2023 receiver room might be the greatest collection of Ohio State receivers ever. And then Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba went out. It was like, okay, well, can you be better than that? So that context changed a little bit. But I don't think we're sitting here in May of 2023 saying like, well, Chris Garrett Jackson, they could never do that again. We That's on the table for right now. But I do think we also now have already seen that version of it already. It's can they sort of do that again? Because at that point, if you said, oh, you're going to have three first round guys who are all on the field together. And by the way, if Jackson hadn't gotten hurt, he would have been a top 15 borderline top 10 guy, just like Garrett and Chris were. So that's a high bar, Nathan. That bar didn't exist when we did the pod. So I don't think our standards, I don't think this receiver group is under anything we would have said back then. I do think the bar has been raised though, by what those three receivers did in 2021 after we did that first pod. And again, I'm looking at the, the two deep that I put together for that pod or around that discussion and it had, you know, Caleb Burton as the backup slot and, or I'm sorry, as the backup X and Caleb Brown as the backup slot. And as we've already seen, to kind of go to your point about the, the greatest collection of receiving talent, like both those guys kind of got squeezed out already by this other group that's coming in behind him. And so now, as far as if you're starting to just envision the full top end talent of the room, I think that has probably changed. And maybe we undershot that a little bit. This might be better than we were thinking just in terms of the overall talent to be in this room right now. I think Fleming will decide which of the last three rooms is the best because, I mean, you just said it, the 21 room, two first rounders and a guy who was the first receiver taken off the board in his respective recruiting class, respective draft class. And, I mean, Garrett and Chris were second and third. Marvin's going to be the first wide receiver taken. He might be the first non-quarterback taken, depending on who has the first pick. He might be the first player taken. Mecca might be number two next next spring. Is Julian a first-round pick? Which is going to be a conversation of can he stay healthy enough with some of these soft tissue stuff to get through a year? And then, like, I mean, Hart might think he's thinks he's got first round talent. That doesn't just because you're a first round talent doesn't make you a first round pick though, because that's a lot of different things. If like Julian Fleming stays healthy this year, and let's say he has like 900 yards, right? He let's just say he has the same exact stat line that Chris Olave had, and then he goes to the combine for a dude who's like six foot two, two hundred and five pounds, and he's like running a low four four or a high four three, and he's lighting it up in draft prep, and somehow he sneaks in the twenty seven then we can have that conversation. But when you're talking about rooms where 21 had three first rounders, 2022 would have had three first rounders had Jackson not gotten hurt. When you're talking about who the top three ended up being, 2022 has got to match that to be in that conversation. And, and that is, that's a little bit results based, but yeah. what happened in 2021 was there were two established dudes. And then the third guy came in and was like, Oh, you can't cover him. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, do, are we watching this season being like, well, Marv's Marv and Emeka's Emeka, but also, by the way, you can't cover Julian Fleming. If you single him up on the outside, you're giving up a 50-yard touchdown pass every single time. He'll kill you mm-hmm. because that's what the point Jackson got to, that, oh, you're going to try to cover Chris and Garrett on the outside? All right, then Jackson is just going to destroy you in the middle of the field. Good luck with that. So I think we'll feel it. You know, the NFL will reflect or not reflect what – Well, no, that will reflect what we are feeling and seeing as it happens, which is, oh, healthy Julian Fleming has risen to the point of borderline uncoverable. 
Let's go to running back. I'm telling you, this is why we were where we were. This is why we were where we were. Trayvon Henderson's the number one running back in that class. 247 Sports Composite. He's number one. Evan Pryor's number six. That's the number 23 and the number 83 overall player. Overall running, overall players, 23, 83. Overall running backs, one and six, Stephen. What if right now we were thinking about the Ohio State running back room the way people are thinking about the Michigan running back room right now? Because by the way, Donovan Edwards, who's one of the guys in the Michigan running back room, was fourth in that class. And then Blake Corum's around still. So what are we thinking about Blake Corman and Donovan Edwards? I don't know. They're going to destroy everybody. I think, Stephen, when we thought about third-year Trevion Henderson and third-year Evan Pryor, that's kind of where we were in July 2021, were we not? Yeah, and um, we're definitely under because now, regardless of who you want to put Trevion with, at best, Ohio State's the third-best running back tandem in the Big Ten because Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen are pretty freaking good, too. And they kind of ran all over Ohio State for a little bit there. Um, it's this was hard. I, I think you'd throw in you'd probably throw in Braylon Allen and Chaz Malucci at Wisconsin. Yeah, you too. might throw that. Yeah, so maybe it's, it's you know the Big Ten. Yeah, this is a really good year for the Big Ten with running back running back tandems. Usually, you just see like running back. The fact that yeah. there's so many tandems is kudos to the Big Ten there. This is the hardest one. Travion Henderson had 1,500 yards as a true freshman. He's 1,500 yards. Like, let's just flip these years. What if Travion Henderson had all these, like, injury problems as a freshman? It's it literally – it's JK. Like, what if the second year was just the first year? It's like, oh, he was hurt. And then he finally got hurt. And it's like, oh, there's the number one running back in the country. We'd be like, oh, Travion Henderson's a Doak Walker Award finalist probably this year. He's out of here, baby. And Evan Pryor, who we just have not seen at all, maybe he's a solid number two or Mayan Williams being what he is is a solid number two at this point. But if you just flip those first two years for Travion, it's a different narrative around him. So it's like hard to talk about him because it's like, I don't know. Trayvon Henderson is a decent back, but we don't know if he can carry the load. The dude had 1,500 yards as a freshman. So why can't he J.K. Dobbins it this year? But also, why would you think he would J.K. Dobbins it this year? It's hard, but Nathan, at least we're spelling out the possibilities that we envisioned. it, And I think it's valuable. Like, we're seeing sort of other teams do it, not one single team, right? We think, well, you know, what if what if we thought Ohio State was going to have Georgia's defense, Michigan's run game, the 2021 Ohio State receiver room, and USC's quarterback? We thought that was all going to be on Ohio State's team. That's where we were. But when you look at it, Nathan, and you look at Ezekiel Elliott, and when you look at J.K. Dobbins, and when you look at the possibility of what great backs look like at Ohio State, and then you see, oh, we are talking about a recruiting class that has the number one and number six running backs in the class. I think it was reasonable to have great expectations for them. But again, then, not surprisingly, it is hard to live up to those, especially when you are hurt. And Evan Pryor lost all of last season to injury, and Travion Henderson lost all of being himself last year to injury, Nathan. So, of course, they have to be under right now, but it is not a bad reminder of what they once were, because I don't think there's definitive proof that they can't be that if they're healthy. And by the way, we now have Mayan Williams in that mix and Dallin Hayden in that mix as guys who can help. But the other thing to remember too, is not to get, not to confuse being productive with being special because the conversation was all about having guys at so many different positions that look like they're going to be something really special. 
And even that freshman year for Trevion Henderson, you know, as we've talked before, getting like 20% of those yards in the, in just the Tulsa game. Um, it wasn't like he was running roughshod over college football yet. It was a good start. So I, I agree with some of what Steven was saying, but I ultimately, yeah, it's definitely under where we thought it would be. Even if you swap in Mayan Williams for Evan Pryor and, I think right now, Trevin Henderson is such an interesting player because he clearly would probably hear conversations like this and and I think hears them in a, in a greater sense, a broader sense, that there is maybe doubt out there about just what his ceiling is as a college football player and a college running back. Because right now, you know, in theory, if you're top 25 in your class, you should be one of the top 100 players in college football or at least top 75 after your third year. And I don't think anybody would bring him there right now. And that's something for him. That's, that's something to go in and prove this year. But at the same time, I, once again, this is what makes him hard. Um, we knew he was special the first time he touched the ball for Ohio State against Minnesota. And it was like the smallest possible sample size, but his first carry goes for 10 yards, and it's like, oh, I probably could have gone for more. His second carry is pretty decent, and then 70-yard screen pass. He showed flashes of special. It's just the Tulsa game is so loud that you maybe have to calm yourself down off of that hill. But he was pretty good in the Penn State game as well. But the, the bigger point I want to make here with him is we did view him as a top 70, top 100 player in college football coming into last season. We did a value thing going into last year, and it was very clear. C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and Travion Henderson were the three best players on this offense, most valuable players on this offense. We viewed him that way. We viewed him in the same way. If B. John Robinson was clearly the best running back in college football, right after him, the names that were coming out of our mouths were Braylon Allen and Travion Henderson. Like that's where he was twelve months ago, and then he spent the year hurt. So I don't. I, I while there's well, you have to add the context of who he was doing it against. Sometimes we viewed him as one of the best running backs in the country a year ago, and then he got hurt three games into the season amid other things that you know maybe his development maybe took a little bit of a left turn a little bit. But we viewed him as one of the best players in college football, and then he spent the year dealing with a foot injury, and now we're not even really sure if he's the best running back in the Big Ten or even top five right now. Right. And that's why I think it remains to be seen whether just the injury held him back or were we wrong? And what percentage would you put in either of those two things? Imagine if Travion Henderson was coming off two 75-yard touchdown runs in the Michigan game. Mm-hmm. Right? Again, what does it look like? Donovan Edwards last year for Michigan averaged 7.1 yards per carry as the guy behind Blake Corum, who then had those runs in the Ohio State-Michigan game after Blake Corum was hurt. Trevor Henderson averaged 5.3 yards per carry, you know, and that's some of that's momentum. Donovan Edwards wasn't doing that early because Blake Corm was sucking up all the yards. And I think Blake Corm had eight straight 100 yard games last year before he got hurt. But imagine if Trayvon Henderson had the kind of momentum that Donovan Edwards is carrying into the season, what we'd be saying. And part of it's just perception. It is. But we were really there. Like, what does it look like? And the fact that Evan Pryor has just not had a chance. He really didn't play his first year while Trey went nuts. And then he got hurt in year two. We have no last spring, right? We were having a like spring Mm -hmm. 2022. We were having a lot of discussions about Evan Pryor, Mayan Williams, Evan Pryor, Mayan Williams. Who do you think's the guy like maybe can get in there with Trey. And then Evan Pryor got hurt. It's like, well, that's over. And then we saw what Mayan Williams can do. Pedigree coming out of high school. Evan Pryor's is much higher than Mayan Williams. And we've seen Mm -hmm. Mayan Williams be a productive. And again, to your point, Nathan, 
different between productive and special. Mayan Williams has absolutely been productive and asked yep. the people at the Northwestern game who he ran over on the way to the end zone if he's special or not, right? In moments, mm-hmm. he's like, well, I don't want to tackle that guy. Sir seems special to me right there. So, like, that's uh, – Evan Pryor, if we did a list of, like, most forgotten, the lost guys on the roster, like Evan Pryor, like what you thought, I guess – and it's it's normal. You're a freshman, need a little more of an adjustment, and then you're hurt as a sophomore. Add him to the Marshawn Lattimore list, right? Yeah. Like, what if he pops in year three in a room with six running backs? So, okay. So, running backs under, you know, because they're not Blake Corman, Donovan Edwards. So, they're under. But when we did it in July 2021, that's what we were thinking was possible. That's what we thought it might look like. Let's go to corner, Nathan. J.K. Johnson, Jordan Hancock, 247 composite ratings. J.K. Johnson, the number three cornerback in that class. Jordan Hancock, number five. Denzel Burke was an athlete and is further down the list. Imagine, so Kool-Aid McKinstry at Alabama, who was... I don't know if you were doing a list right now of the best returning cornerbacks in college football. I think he's in contention to be number one. He's the number one cornerback in that class. And then the number 16 cornerback in that class is Kalen King at Penn State, who was awesome last year, was like as good as Joey Porter Jr. practically last year. It is, I think, is you know coming into year three now at Penn State. There's no questions about Kalen King. There's not a but with Kalen King. It's like, oh, no, that guy looks like he's going to be a first-round pick. Imagine if J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock were Kool-Aid McKinstry and Kalen King right now, Nathan. That's what we were thinking. It was like, oh, they've had these issues at cornerback. Oh, this recruiting class solved it. Because they have Hancock and Johnson. And by the way, this Denzel Burke guy who's a dog, who's an athlete, who's flipping from receiver. They got him out of Arizona. Heartline loves that guy too. So Denzel Burke's done his thing. J.K. Johnson's gone, transferred to LSU. Jordan Hancock has been beset by injuries, Nathan. But when we were doing it, that's what we thought was possible. But as we sit here right now, we've talked a lot about the corners this spring, but compared to where we were, do we think the corners are under over or about what we thought they would be? And so I'm looking at this again, this two deep, there's actually two other names of of the four. So Hancock, (laughs) we had Johnson listed as a starter and Hancock as a backup. You know who the other two names were? (laughs) Legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts. Nah. Ryan Watts was penciled in as a starter. Um, Jaheim Singletary. <laughs> Jaheim Singletary. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, this might be about the same in some ways because, and well, the other the other name that's absent here though is Denzel Burke. And we didn't know Denzel Burke was going to be maybe the best out of that whole group, and so I guess right. you just swap him in for Jaquelin Johnson though. It, in some ways, he's starting third year out of that same class. And now you bring in Davis Nigmanosan. But I don't know, as much as we think he could be really good, we weren't thinking of him probably in the same, um, with the same ceiling as a Jaheim Singletary. So I don't know. I would maybe call this about the same. It still seems like a room, as we go into 2023, it seems like a position group that is going to take a favorable step towards being at the worst, very stable and dependable. And I don't know if it'll be a a group that is out there just making amazing plays all the time, 
But that's not what Ohio State has necessarily been lacking at that room. It's the standard's been even lower than that. It needs just somebody. It, it needs a group of like three or four guys to come in and be dependable every down guys. And I, so that's that that actually makes me sound like we're maybe still undershooting it. But I, I think approximately that's what we were thinking for like the total talent that we were thinking in 2021 for this group is still the talent that we think is there. Now it's just a matter of, are they healthy enough to put it together in a way that they weren't last year? I think I agree with that. I think you plug in Denzel Burke for JK Johnson. He's a th- I mean, I think JK Johnson was a top one in recruit. Well, Denzel Burke's now a three-year starter who might end up being a first rounder next year. Might not. We'll see. Um, and then Jaheim Singletary probably had the higher singer ceiling between him and Davis and Igbenosin coming out of high school. But I think that's probably flipped now. And a lot of that is because Igbenosin played a lot of snaps last year while James Singletary didn't really play that much for Georgia. And now he's in the transfer portal. And I think he's at Florida. I believe I might have to fight. Somebody might need to fight check that for me. But it's pretty equal. The descriptions, if you take away the names of what we thought about this cornerback room, are the exact same descriptions. We're just applying it to other people. I think there's still a little under like if you uh arkansas for jaheim singletary by the way if if you wow if denzel burke was a straight line just like denzel burke had with the injury last year you know wasn't himself Mm -hmm. the whole season it does feel like he's trending the right way had a really good spring but i don't know i i would have thought that we would have been talking about like oh you know with hancock and johnson we're talking about like all american quality cornerback play I mean, maybe we're there with the possibility with Denzel, but I, I think we're a little under. Like, again, Jordan Hancock, if Jordan Hancock hits everything they said last year, coming out August, what they thought he was going to be for them, how valuable he was going to be, okay, like get him back healthy to do that. We're very – I think they are high on the cornerback room coming out of spring. I think we agree with what they said. I don't think we're doubting them. So this is not – I just think, again, it's, it's a step up from where the corners have been, but – it's. I don't know that we're expecting Marshawn Lattimore, but again, we weren't expecting Marshawn Lattimore when we got Marshawn Lattimore. So it's a very difficult thing. But if they had Kalen King and Kool-Aid McKintry, we'd be like, oh, nobody can throw on them. Okay, good luck. You're not going to be able to get rid of the ball because Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimolawa are going to be in your face. And if you do get rid of it, Kool-Aid McKintry and Kalen King are going to intercept it. And like that's that's just not quite where we are. All right. So uh, so. You guys are. I'm still a little under, like slight, slightly. Yeah, I it, realizing I, they could get there. I think I was probably the other thing that's happened is when we we're talking in July of 2021. I think we thought the cornerback play was going to be better each of the past two years leading to this. So that is probably yeah. skewing my vision of this a little bit. That we would have thought that 2022, you would have already started to see the promise that would be there in 2023. And we saw none of the promise from any of those guys, really. In fact, we saw regression. And again, it was injury related. But, in the, you know, you know what I'm saying? So I think that's probably affecting a little bit how I look at it. Because the, we, we see a, the potential of such a contrast between last year and the year ahead. See, I'm a little further than that. I thought 23 then would be the first time it'd be dominant. I thought in 22 because of because Singletary would be a true freshman in 22 so like i mean what do you come on we've seen it before but you better be like 
you know, Strickland or something like that. If you're going to be that, that, that good as a true freshman at cornerback. And then with JK and, and Jordan Hancock, because they were early enrollees, maybe you see flashes of it, but it would still be a little inconsistent. And then 23 would be the first time where you saw a group where it's like, that's going to be a dominant cornerback group. It just turns, it turns out that the cornerback group in 2022 didn't even show the flashes. They were just another you know, version of what we've been seeing for the last couple of years. While this year, I still feel like this is the first time that we might see a dominant group. So I'm still on the same page there. It's just 22 was weird, but so have been the last three years here. Then I think you'd have to be under, right? No, no. I'm saying I still think I, what I thought about where the cornerback room would be in 2023, as far as this would be the first year where it'd be really, really quality play. I still think that now. That's why I'm the same. Well, okay. You said dominant before, so that's why I'm I'm I'm. What's Fine. the difference between I thought it'd be really, dominant really quality play. When, I think that's- when we did when we did it in 21, I thought 23 would be the first dominant year. Here we are in 23. I still think this would be the first dominant year in some time. Okay. Okay. Last couple guys to go through. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Steve, and Nathan back. Again, great texture question that that dove us into this. If you want to be a text subscriber, 614-350-3315 for a two-week free trial. So in that class, they had eight of the top 50 players in the 21 class, according to the 247 Sports Composite, and they had 14 of the top 100. They have lost Quinn Ewers. They have lost J.K. Johnson. But they've added Taiwan Malone who was the number 63 player in that class and went to Ole Miss and now he's on the roster. So, okay, we'll throw that guy back in the mix. So, you know, they were in on him. And like, I think people would have been excited if Ohio State had gotten him originally the first time around. So we can count him now. The other guys that we haven't talked about, the number 19 player in that class was Donovan Jackson, Nathan. And I think he's on track, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, just and with offensive linemen, it, it, it's always a little bit harder to project if third year is going to be like the big smash year. Or maybe that would be more likely to be the fourth year. But I mean, started all of last year and was solid and seems to be yeah on on schedule. And it's hard, Stephen. It's not like we said, well, great guard play, lock up the title. <laughs> That's not usually how you talk about those things. Yeah. But when you think about settling as much as we talked about tackle being an issue when we did it two years ago, we thought, okay, well, this guy's going to settle one of the guard spots. And he has, he, we expect Donovan Jackson as the number 19 overall recruit. Now as a third year guy to be the best guy on this offensive line. And I think that's a success from, you know, I think that maybe even is higher. There's no guarantee you're going to start in year two. I think Donovan Jackson individually might even be a little bit ahead of what we would have said. He forced them to give him a role as a true freshman as a tackle eligible spot. And then as a second year guy, he's a starter. I think the only thing question you maybe have about him is like, I don't even, neither, none of us are Bill Landers. None of us are, are offensive line aficionados, but he was the best guard in his class. Is he not going to be the best guard in the country? Yeah. Which is where like, okay. Wyatt, that's a conversation Wyatt Davis was in at this point. Boop, 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 boop. You know what that is? That's Nathan Baird back in the bus out of the garage. Mike Hall was the number 53 overall recruit in that class, Nathan. Is Mike Hall on track, a little behind what we thought, a little ahead of what we thought? We had him as the starter on this too deep, or I did, or whoever put this together. So I I think he's right where we thought he would be. Um, Don't do that. Don't do that. No, I think it's, this is where we no, thought. We no, thought no, he'd be no, starting. No. 
Don't, 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 don't come in here all small with it. Hey, we thought he'd be starting. No. We, listen, it's it's tough because he obviously showed potentially more than that. And some of us have yeah. predicted even more than that for him. But he couldn't consistently do it um, for injury reasons. So I think that's why um, it, he's doing what he should be doing for this team. He could be doing something even more. I think it's just a matter of whether he can he can stay on the, the field at and and last year there was still just the the whole weirdness of was it all injury related was it because they liked Ty Hamilton better as an all-around tackle on early down whatever so there's still some questions to be answered for him you want to go harder Steven on behalf of Nathan yeah I, I didn't I didn't like that answer at all his actually our expectations for him are a lot higher than they were in 2021 when we did this it's one thing to be a start like to use Nathan's words, it's the one thing to be productive. Yeah. It's another thing to be special. This dude has a chance to be special, and none of us were thinking about him in a special way two years ago. So they're higher. I, I, I think that's true, but but, but be, especially because he had the two ends in the same class that were getting all the attention. And, and yeah. a def- defensive tackle even ranked in the 50s was kind of an afterthought. But even then, it's like there was a point in 21 when we did like a vote in our – our texters had Talik Williams as one of the 10 best players on his team. Like he has been the last to the party of everybody get excited about this kid, but it seems right now he'll have, he'll stick in the room the longest just based off what we've seen. The number 87 recruit, according to two, four, seven sports was Reed Carrico at linebacker. It hasn't really happened for Reed, but Steven, I almost feel like, well, he like Tommy Eichenberg's in that spot. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, do you think, oh, you'll have like a really like a game changing linebacker? It's like, okay, well, like Reed Carrico can't get on the field because Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg have locked those spots down. So again, this is not like a failing of Reed Carrico, but when we're doing it, it's like, oh, we think the linebacker play might be pretty darn good, and and I think maybe different people, but I maybe we're on about the same spot. Yeah, I, I think that the linebacker room. It's the same spot. It's just it was never applicable to him. It was going to be you know C.J. Hicks and Gay Powers or C.J. Hicks and Desam McCullough, I believe, at that point. You, you so it's instead it's just Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers. But it was it's we, Reed Carrico is a top one hundred recruit. But I don't think we've ever necessarily viewed him with the same expectations that you view other top one hundred recruits because surrounding him have always been a lot of guys who were older than him or super super talented guys that we were more excited about who were younger than him. And then the last guy is Jaden Ballard, who was number 99, Stephen. And again, like we always just thought he was probably a year behind in the cycle behind Emeka and Marvin just because of high school level of play and that kind of thing. We've talked about him a lot, but Jaden Ballard was not fundamental to our discussion then, and he still has a chance to be a good player, right? At best, he's fourth if he ever passes Xavier Johnson this year. At worst, maybe he's sixth if Carnell Tayton keeps doing what he's doing. But you would expect him to at least be in the two deep, but – they're pretty set at wide receiver. So that's the group that kind of led us down that path with those third-year guys. I, I will say, Nathan, I do feel like maybe some of the fourth-year guys, the support is not as strong as maybe we thought it might be. Julian Fleming, partly because you know guys maybe haven't reached what we thought, maybe have transferred or because they're in the league. So you look at the 20 class, fourth-year guys. Julian Fleming, we already talked about him. He's going to help this team. Paris is gone. Jackson is gone. CJ is gone. G. Scott Jr. Position change has taken some time. Cody Simon in the mix is a backup. Mookie Cooper transferred. Luke Whipplers in the NFL. 
Darian Henry Young transfer, Jacoby Cohen transfer, Jacoby Cowan transfer, Court Williams injuries hasn't happened. Lathan Ransom will help this team. Ryan Watts transfer. Cam Martinez might help this team. Jack Miller transfer. Mitchell Melton injuries. He could help this team. Legend Cavazos transfer. Joe Royer still could help this team. And then we get into a bunch of the offensive linemen. Josh Fryer could still, obviously, we think he's a left tackle. Mayan Williams as a running back. It's not, in the end, by year four, Nathan, it's not a not a ton of supplemental guys to the third-year stars. And I think, you know, again, I don't know that we ever were counting on Paris Johnson or CJ Stroud or Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think Whippler, we probably would have guessed back then, would still be here. And like, that's a little bit of a hit, but it's not a huge group of in year four. Are there a bunch of four year guys driving this bus? They're kind of not. Yeah. And I don't, it is kind of a huge hit. I mean, to lose Whippler, because again, as we're, I think, about to talk, when you already have a, potential weakness lingering out there at a position and you take somebody else out of that same position group unexpectedly, that kind of throws the whole thing. It, it, it exasperates that problem. So um, that was one that we definitely, I think of, of all the people on here, the one person we didn't expect to be that far ahead of schedule that, that I, as I'm looking back through this too deep, uh, somebody that we thought, you know, why that would, would still be here. Um, for not transfer reasons and, and isn't here except well, is the one he was a transfer is the one the one is the other is, one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, this is pre fall camp where we saw Dewan was the starting Correct. right tackle. So I think both of those are probably cause Dewan Jones is probably a starter in 2023. Yep. We're thinking that this is like his second oh, yeah. year or maybe first year of the starter. So both of those guys are significant hits to what we're ta- talking about here. Nathan, what was your offensive line depth chart? From back then. <laughs> uh, right tackle was Dewan Jones and Tegra Shibola. So half of that could still be right. Right guard, Enoch Vamahi, Ryan Jacoby. Enoch Vamahi is still around. Ryan Jacoby is not. Center, Luke Whippler and Jacob James, who could still be in the mix. But right now, we think more likely is the backup behind Carson Hensman. Uh, left guard, Donovan Jackson and Ben Chrisman. Ben Chrisman now has, has moved on. But again, we were sort of projecting him only to be backup level at this point. And then left tackle, <laughs> Zach Rice and Josh Fryer. So Josh Fryer could be in the mix. But again, that tells you that in 2021, we thought someone, we saw someone on the roster and thought, well, after two more years of development, we think that guy can probably be the backup. And we were projecting a guy who popped earlier than anyone expected to be the starting right tackle, which is why now, because he's in the league, they're looking for two starting tackles instead of one. And if you had Dewan right. Jones locked in, he doesn't start in 21, 22 is his first year as a starter. So he stays in 23 to be a second year starter. Now you're only searching for one guy, but we knew we talked about all these left tackle recruits. We talked about it then we knew that was coming. That was our major caveat. That was like, we think they are a national championship team in every way, except this. And here we are. And it's the same thing. 22, Players that as second year guys could supplement Steven, like again, that far out, we're not really thinking about it. But when you look at 22, we we talk a lot about CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles. Devin Brown could be the starting quarterback. We were very enthused about Kenyatta Jackson at defensive end in the spring. We know Gabe Powers is a little bit in the linebacker mix. Tegra Shapola, as Nathan said, is still in the battle at right tackle. Caden Curry is somebody we think can be in the mix at defensive end. Hero Canoe can be in the mix at defensive tackle. Carson Hinsman looks like the starting center 
as a second-year guy. Jair Brown is a guy that they have confidence in from the cornerback room. We saw what Dallin Hayden did last year as a true freshman. Kai Stokes is a, is a safety people are still excited about. But, you know, maybe beyond – and part of this is there's so many older guys. This is an old team in a lot of ways, Stephen, mm-hmm. that there are going to be some guys who are blocked. And this is why it's a little bit – like most of the guys that we're talking about now who are maybe not quite what they thought they would be, they have not been blocked. The, the reason we think that, oh, these guys aren't quite mm-hmm. – is not because they haven't had the opportunity. A lot of these second-year guys now this year may not get the opportunity beyond Sonny Styles and Carson Hensman. We're not sure who's going to play – but when we list those names, Stephen, that might be good. If these third-year guys hit, it's like, well, you get a, you know, Ken, Kenyatta Jackson made a big play in this game. Hero Canoe made a big play in this game, right? Oh, man, like Sonny Styles had the game-saving pick. Like that might be all you need from second-year guys when you have as much back as these guys have. But what do you think of the second-year supplemental guys in this conversation? You can't even use Sonny Styles because – he was a sophomore in high school at the time, not yeah, committed yet, and this was not on the table. So this is the CJ. And then, like, some of the other guys we're talking about, he's talking about CJ Hicks. You're talking about Desan McCullough, who ended up at Indiana and is now at Oklahoma. Jaheim Singletary, who ended up at Georgia and now at Arkansas. You're talking about Terrence Brooks, who ended up flipping to Texas. It's guys who weren't coming here yet. I do want to say this when it comes to Ohio State's roster building under Ryan Day so far. I think they've done a good job of not recruiting on top of each other to where you get a situation like the 2018 linebackers. Now, it comes to find out they also just weren't any good, but we spent a lot of time talking about how those linebackers were blocked because of just there was just so much in front of them. This 2022 and 2021 class, they get a good job of pairing it to where now we're talking about the second year guys that they need to, that they need to step up are the top 100 recruits where they absolutely need guys. Kenyatta Jackson's a top 100 recruit where you need depth at the defensive line. Amari Oibor is the same way. CJ Hicks being in the two deep as a second year guy who's a top 105 star recruit. Meanwhile, you look at like wide receiver where it's like, I know we had some conversations this year about how this is a big spring, but it's not because it's a big spring for this season. It's because it's a big spring for next season. They did a really good job of like getting guys whose development tracks are just a little bit parallel to where you don't feel like you're blocking super talented guys. So you're losing guys to the portals every year because you kind of came in knowing that a lot of these guys in this 2022 group, because you did such a great job recruiting in 21 we're probably not going to have significant meaningful starting roles until their third year in the program, which takes us to 24, where you do need more of like a 21 level class where guys need to be ready to go in year two. So I think in the end, the conversation in the summer of 2021 was really a defensive end, cornerback, receiver, running back, quarterback conversation because we're podcasters and we don't want to talk about defensive line and offensive line, right? Except that they matter the most. But like we were talking about like the possibilities. That's where the energy of that recruiting class really was lying. And I think we thought there was great possibility there. And by the recruiting rankings, and I think where everybody was thinking, that that was not unreasonable at the time. I think in the end, we are all below where we were in July 21 compared to where we are in May 23. And I think it's mainly two things. I think of those five rooms, corner, defensive end, receiver, running back, quarterback, I think maybe the only place we feel like it's been maximized is that receiver. And the other part is the hole that we were talking about back then that we thought could hold them back has not been filled. 
And sort of along the lot, we were like, oh, well, they better do this. They better figure it out. They better have a first year or a second year offensive tackle. And actually, it got worse because Dewan yeah. popped and left. So, like, the problem that we saw one problem, and that problem not only stayed, it spread because it went from one tackle <laughs> to two tackles. Yes. So, that's why, because we could have been like, oh, remember when we were so worried about tackle and then blank five star you know they have a five star second year tackle ready to step in they get the best tackle in the portal this last cycle something you know you patch the hole in the dam they could have and they didn't so and then by the way as we said doesn't mean any of these guys aren't good players they are they just that the first two years has not gone perfectly according to plan probably anywhere nathan except in the receiver room so the the so what are we now are we 75 percent of where we were for what 2023 could be compared to where we were in the summer of of 21 are we 60 percent are we 80 percent what do you think nathan well yeah that's the thing because uh it's not as if it has knocked them off of being a national championship contender it's just whether or not they're that's how lofty we were actually talking back then. Are they maybe still on a super team trajectory? Greatest of all time? I would probably push back and say no. Do I think they can win a national championship this year? Yeah, I do. I don't see why not. Because like, there's there's still a lot of talent here, and there's still a lot of guys here who just because they have not just because they have not kept on the unicorn trajectory doesn't mean they can't also be like a great white shark or something else. That's like a more tangible, still like lethal thing. Unicorns aren't that lethal. I guess they can poke you with that horn or whatever. They're not that um, lethal. They have a sharp, ob- but they have a sharp object on yeah. their forehead that can literally yeah, tell you. But they don't, they don't, um, uh, they don't go around just stabbing people for no reason. I mean, they don't really go around doing anything because they don't exist. But you don't know that. We don't. We, we don't know that. What if? What if unicorns? If they actually existed, were the most violent animals on the planet? We didn't know it. And that's why they got killed off. Mm. That's maybe that's what happened. Uh, but no, I, I still think that this is still a team that the ultimate like thing that it this team can do is still within its reach. I think what it, we are let see as being less likely, it'll just be a harder fight to do it. This is a pretty tough schedule. This is a um, when you don't have maybe something you think is as magical at quarterback or as magical at defensive end, then it just, it just it's just going to be a, a tougher challenge to get it done. But I still think we and a lot of other people across the country are still thinking Ohio State is one of the, the few teams that can win a national championship. But the, I think the thing that's most I want to say this about the tackle thing. I mean, we were, I think, that was one of the first times we really spoke that into existence. Like, July 7th or 2021, or whatever you said, was like one of the first times that, I don't know if anybody on the beat was really talking yet about, there's like like DEFCON, maybe not like DEFCON 1, but like DEFCON something about this tackle situation that's like looming out there. And they got to do something about it. And they already knew they had to do something about it. But you've had signing day 2021, signing day 2022, Two regular portals, two spring portals, and they still never they didn't get anything to help. I mean, I mean, Josh Simmons, we'll see what happens with that. But like certainly like big impact. Ohio State ex- expectation standard level impact didn't happen at that one big thing. The one thing that was like lingering out there that we thought might be the the branch that would trip them up. 
So I think that's going to be an interesting thing to follow. Do they patch that together and and make it so that that's not the thing that actually does trip them up, or is it something we're talking about in December? I think the most impressive thing we've done over the past six months here since the 2022 season has ended has found we have found every creative way under the planet to remind people that we told you two years ago that there was going to be an offensive tackle problem. <laughs> we have done, we do it in every other week. We have a pod where it basically is like, see, we told you it was going to be an issue. And now it's an issue because <laughs> we were definitely the, 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 the bum on the street with the end is near signed. That has been us for two years here. Now it has come to fruition here. Uh, I think they can still go ahead. Nathan, before I finish my point, I was going to say, and even more than that, like we didn't predict the right tackle hole being open necessarily, but we yeah. were saying early on, like Dewan Jones was not like a projected starter really at any time in his career at that point. And that's mm-hmm. who we were putting in that slot. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah. We're better than everybody else. Buckeye talk. I, I, th- <laughs> 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 I think they can still do it. Now, greatest team of all time? Probably not. That's not happening. But I do think the idea of – we've had this conversation too, the idea of every year there's a super team, basically since 2019 with LSU, and then you had angry Bama, and then you had Georgia because of the defense. I don't know. Maybe not last year there wasn't much of a super team. Maybe Georgia was that, but I don't know if that's like an unbeatable, otherworldly I, team if you had like a 12-team playoff with the greatest teams of all time. I don't know if you put – 2022 Georgia in that the same way you put 21 Georgia in it. Um, but maybe we get, so right. Even 21, 21, that's that's tough to call that a super team. Yeah. And even, even it's it's, your, but your base is so much on their defense the same way you put it so much on LSU's offense. But the point of the matter is yeah, super defense. We haven't seen a super team in two years now. And I still feel like based off what we've seen all off season and then how we have consistently talked about this team, that Ohio State, where things stand, might be the best case to have a super team when we get to the actual season. Now, whether they do it or not is a different conversation, but I do think they are best set up from a complete team standpoint to be the 2023 super team. So two things. I do think we have talked about the offensive tackle thing so much. I think there are people who listen to us who are like, you know what? My family life is great. I've been working out. I'm in shape. I love my job. And the only thing wrong in my life is that I'm really worried about the Ohio State tackle situation, that I think we are actually there. I <laughs> think we are dragging people down. And it's like, I, eh, you know, that, that ice cream cone tastes really good. But don't forget, the Ohio State tackles are below their typical standards. So we don't mean to be doing that to people, but you got to be aware of what you're aware of. The other thing is, I think you could listen to this and be like, oh, well, I thought we'd have a super team and we don't. I would take this message away instead. That DNA is still in there. Yeah, that's a good So point. what if in 2023, Ohio State gets the, the 2021 possibility, that version of Jordan Hancock, that version of Travion Henderson, that version of quarterback play, whether it's Quinn Ewers or Kyle McCord or Devin Brown, that version of a Mecca Ibuka, that version of JT and Jack, it's in there. It's in there. It just hasn't come all the way to fruition yet, but it might just have taken a little bit longer to bloom. So it's not here right now. It's not. To have a super team discussion about Ohio State in May of 2023 would be silly. 
But let's check back into mid-October and see what we think, because that most of that has not gone away. J.K. Johnson's not here. Quinn Ewers isn't here. Okay. But Evan Pryor's been hurt, right? But most of that other stuff is in there. And we've already talked on numerous podcasts about how much depth they have. You know, Matt Jones is still around. Kate Stover's still around. Tommy Eichenberg's still around, right? So there, there's not as much fourth-year support. There's actually more fifth- and sixth-year support than you ever would have expected. There are some dudes who hung around for this, right? And you get a little Sonny Styles pop. You get a little Kenyatta Jackson here and there. You get a little, you know, Denzel Burke is better than anyone thought. And all of a sudden, there's there's some DNA that lies within this team. So keep that in your head. And we didn't go back. If we had like a real producer, we would have had someone go back and cut out clips from what we said in July 7, 2021 and drop it in here. Instead, it's in your feed. If you want to go back and listen to that as a companion piece to this and be like, oh, uh, the guys have grown so much. They're so different. And like, nope, they're still yelling about the same stuff. But like compare the conversation. So I don't think, but I don't want to stop doing this. And this makes me think we need to have a podcast about the 2025 team. What do we think? But I don't feel like there's not enough happening, yeah. right? I mean, to think like, would we sit here right now and be like, oh, 2025 Ohio State, watch out. Mm. Well, I, like, I don't know. My guess is no. Which also means it's a reminder of like how it was rolling, man, in July 2021. Like it was on, baby. Like we were not holding back at all. Doesn't mean they won't be great in 2025, but Steven, we're not quite. You know, if Dylan Rayola was still here, that's what I was going to say. Now Jeremiah Smith is still here, but Jeremiah Smith keeps going to Georgia. I'm not going to, it's fine. It's It's, fine, right? It's okay, everybody. It's okay. That kid is, he is literally just like doing normal recruiting process stuff. He's, he's not. He's not in any danger of flipping. But the, the point I'm making to this is if Dylan Rayola were still committed and we're talking about a situation where Ohio State currently would have the number one and number two players in the country committed to Ohio State, I think we'd be thinking about this a little bit differently. So because of that, I do want to kind of put a pin in something here because Aaron Nolan is surging. He's having like a C.J. Stroud-level summer. It's just starting earlier than July. And with C.J., he ended up being the third-best quarterback in his class when he started surging. Air has started this. If Air goes to LA for the Elite 11 camp and he just like is wrecking everything and he walks away and everybody's like, that kid's a five star recruit. That kid might be the number one quarterback in this class. I think we might start looking at things a little differently because of the whole, the whole preference of why we did it the first time was because they had the best quarterback in the country who also might be generational talent. If Air continues on this pace where he's kicking butt on these rec- at these national showcases and then he throws for like 50 touchdowns and two interceptions his senior year which isn't crazy cuz he threw for like 45 and 2 this past year we might start viewing some things differently but the, the difference is this time around we need to continue to see Ohio State's recruiting class shape out in the way that it had already kind of shaped out with that 2021 class by this point 2 years ago he's number 6 quarterback he's not getting number 1 he's not getting past Dylan Rayola he might get the number Probably 2 not. But Maybe. he's number six right now. He's very highly rated. But that's that's a good thing to keep in mind. But I think it's worth doing. I kind of like this. It's like, let's lay it down. Two years out. What's the perception? And maybe we'll have a podcast and say 2025. Oh, we think they'll be good. And then we'll get to 2025 and be like, they're a super team. Did we think they would be a super team? No, we didn't. Let's go back in time and look. So anyway, <laughs> we'll add that to the list for now. It is Michigan week. It's going to be Michigan week, right? That 
Monday through Friday, stories at cleveland.com slash OSU about the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, what's changed at Ohio State, what's changed at Michigan. It's about the halfway point. So that's why we're doing this. We're just giving you a week of stories. We kind of already did it on the pod a couple weeks ago. We gave you three straight Michigan-Ohio State pods. So we're not going to hit it on the pod as much, but we really would like you to read what's being written at cleveland.com slash OSU. Uh, our rivalry reporter, Jimmy Watkins, had a good story about J.J. McCarthy as sort of a villain for Ohio State fans and a really important player for Michigan. Nathan wrote about what's changed at Ohio State. Jimmy wrote about what's changed at Michigan. We have a trash talk, sort of like what should Ohio State be doing story coming from Stephen. We have a contrast and style story coming from Nathan. We're going to rank the best overall players, both teams combined. So a lot of Ohio State-Michigan content this week because we think it's that big of a deal. So we're like halfway in between, and we're trying to give that to you something different. And then on, on Buckeye Talk, we'll just uh, you know keep rolling with the stuff. So for now, we appreciate you guys, as always, making us part of your week. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.